Hey everybody, welcome back to The Collective. We have another fantastic show for you planned out today. Very excited to have both Travis and Craig coming back again. Travis, you're what, like seven or eight, nine? I can't even know. You've done a lot. You've been on here quite a bit. I really appreciate you coming back. Oh, I love being invited. I always enjoy the conversation. And Craig, this is what, like three? Three, yeah. Three now? Mm -hmm. I'm always surprised when people come back. I am. (laughs) (laughs) Some days, for sure. Some days. Uh, Now, while we're all joking around, be serious. Like the show. Subscribe to the channel. Hit the notification bell. Do all that good stuff so you get your emails in the morning when we go live, which is, of course, every day. If you have any thoughts, questions, comments, anything at all, by all means, put them up in the comment section, and we will engage them directly, kind of like this one right here. Good morning, team and coaches. Good to see you, Winterstorm. Thank you very much for hitting us up right away. Um, Other than that, this is day three of coaches week very excited we uh had a third but uh have not heard back from him yet so hopefully he'll be able to join us soon it'll be awesome other than that any thoughts or comments before we dive into the conversation yeah i just want to throw out a casual uh if if you're freaking out on my new camera angle it's because the other couple of days when my my camera was pointing i i think i was developing a double chin there over the last two episodes, I was like, what is going on there? I better adjust my camera. So this one should be a little more palatable to the audience. Perhaps it might. I think you were just trying to make it look like you were taller than you actually are. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing will do that. Did not work. <laughs> yeah. So we have a written question. We got a video question. I got another video one uh, on deck on top of that. So if you guys are good, we can dive right into the first question and we'll go from there. We got this yesterday. Uh, from one of the Sean, uh, from Sean, one of the viewers sent this to Sean, and uh, here it goes. So there has been much emphasis this coach's week on how imperative imperative it is to solidify your why. My hope is that the following question may help me and others gain some insight into how to effectively understand how to initiate crafting an impenetrable mindset and refining our own why. Now the question: Would each coach please share, if willing, their most anchored why? that helps them get through the challenges of their life, their life's most adversarial and psychologically difficult moments of a grueling process such as selection or an operation, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Travis, I'm going to start with you. Holy crow. I know. I'm going to put you right on the fire as per normal. (laughs) So Simon Sinek, he's very famous for talking about getting your why and understanding your why. And he's, uh, he's a powerful presenter and uh, has a lot to say on that. He's actually got a course that people can take if they're trying to get to their why. That's uh, I haven't done, but others have said it's quite useful. Um, for developing my why, it's something that uh, I've put a fair bit of thought into, and it has to be something that's, uh, in for me anyways, greater than myself. Um, the why can't be be good at business, um, just be a good person. It's got to be... Um, something that will be a North star or a guiding light that will be able to measure every other life decision against. So when I look at myself, I like to create, I enjoy the process of creating things and I will use that creation part as something that can help my family, help how I raise my kids, help how I, uh, organize my business. If it goes to my why I will be passionate about it. I will want to create and I'll drive forward on that regardless of, of kind of what comes up. So that's uh, the sort of the, the larger nebulous why and what I'm creating has to be of value to others. So when I do a podcast, I want to bring 
value to the audience. I want to bring value to my guest who's going to be on there. That's my, my equal part of the why. Um, when I look at my family, I want to make sure that they're progressing forward in a way that's going to be advantageous, beneficial for them and for us as a group. And I look at what I'm creating in the process to, uh, to assist in that. So that's sort of the, uh, the less personal kind of nebulous why that I have, but am I creating something of substance that will benefit others, which will in turn, I will find benefit in myself. On the wrong channel. There we go. That makes a lot of sense. I, I, and I think, I mean, we've had this conversation with you before a little bit in terms of like the fact that you really seek to bring benefit to everything that you do, which is fantastic. And I, I, I really appreciate it because it's helped us focus on what it is we want to do as well, which especially with collective and your podcast and how those things have intermixed. It's been awesome. Craig, uh, yeah. how about yourself? What about you? How do you define your why? Define your why. Um, I mean, it changes over time. Like for me, a lot of it now comes down to taking care of my family and doing that in a way that provides or supports freedom and happiness for us. Like by freedom, I mean the ability to travel, to not be locked down to one geographic location, to be able to do the things that we want to do, that sort of thing. Um, like earlier in my life, say going through selection in the military, um, when things got really dark, I had this one particular image in my head that uh, it was of a pair of snow boots that my dad owned when I was a kid. And it was, we grew up in like a small town in South Dakota, like the Northern US, cold, flatland, miserable. And uh, my mom was a paramedic. We had two cars. My mom always needed one because she's always on call and we had another one. And my dad would go to work pretty early in the morning. And in order for, I had three other siblings, there's four of us total. In order for us to be able to drive to school after my dad had gone to work, he would leave the second car for us and he would walk to work, which was about a mile, um, mile, mile and a half maybe. Uh, but in the winter, like January, February in South Dakota, brutal cold. <laughs> but he would trudge to work in these giant, you know, like you're in Canada, you know, these kind of snow boots, they go up to your knee, mm -hmm. you know, um, he would trudge to work come back at the end of the day and he'd always set them by the door in this little plastic thing where the snow would pop off them and I'd just sit there until the next day. And when I was like hitting bottom in selection, like blacking out in the pool because I couldn't swim and things like that, I would think about those snow boots as sort of a representation of everything my parents had sacrificed for me in order to have these opportunities, in order to have the ability to create a better life do the things that I wanted to do. And when I thought about that, there was no way I would ever make a phone call and tell my dad that I had quit because it was too hard, you know? Um, and so like, I don't know how to put that into like a small box of words, but that concept is what I thought of as like my reason for getting through this painful thing. And that held out for, for years while I was doing that kind of stuff. And, you know, as life goes on, things shift. I start to think about other things, vacations, which have become my family. Um, that's where it came from for me. As far as finding it for other people, I think there are two concepts you could think about. The first is just the difference between end values and mean values, which is one, one supports the other. So money for most people is a means value. It's a way to get something else. It's the way to get comfort, freedom, 
food, whatever, um, where the end value is the thing that still matters even if everything else is taken away or even if other obligations or conditions are met. Um, so happiness for a lot of people is an end value. Like you wouldn't trade happiness away in exchange for something else in most cases. So you, so that can be considered for some people an end value. And there's, you basically to find that out, to determine for yourself what your values are, it, which leads you to what you can do to meet those things. Um, you basically make a sports bracket, like the same thing you'd see in a playoff, you know, like you have these things compete against one another and you trade one for the other. Would you trade physical freedom for money or would you trade comfort for happiness or whatever? And you just play those things off each other until you get to the end. And then you find the thing that actually matters to you the most. And from there, you can do kind of a deeper analysis, like on the podcast with, I think we talked about the idea that you should look for what does the world need? What are you good at? And what can you get paid for more or less? And look for where those things overlap. And if you have a clear understanding of your own values, that helps you to like make that Venn diagram a little more effectively. So yeah. that's my answer. Absolutely. Sean, how about yourself? I love good stories, man. I wish you hadn't <laughs> have ended. I was, I was totally invested in the uh, snow boot story and rightfully so, because uh, obviously it's a personal thing that, that drove you to great success and probably still does to some degree. So it's interesting how it's a simple story at face value, but with the personal connection involved in it, it's, it's a really deep story. So that's, that's lives, man, you know, like our lives, uh, we, we do our day to day and sometimes we don't always consider. Uh, how our why is impacting other people's whys. And so uh, maybe, Craig, you're the guy uh, for someone else in those snow boots uh, in, mm -hmm. uh, in Colorado, you know? So uh, I think we've all got our role to play. And what you just illustrated is sometimes we don't always understand what those small moments mean until years later. So I suppose my uh, advice would be to open your eyes to these small moments. Uh, look, look for the small stories of life that will become important to you much later in life. Uh, so with that out of the way, my why, uh, maybe like Craig, has shifted throughout the years or shifted throughout my um, careers. And, um, you know, my first career being the military, I had a very strong why. Uh, but now my career, uh, my final career, or maybe not my final, but the one that I'm currently in, uh, podcasting, that required a why. And so uh, the, I'll, I'll speak about this podcasting right now because it's relevant uh, to the overarching theme. I don't want to do this nonsense. I didn't want to be in front of a microphone. I, I actually <laughs> didn't want to be here today. Before, before I walked into my office, I just don't want to be here. But I am here because I know it's important to for me. It's important for people who are engaging in the platform. And uh, I feel like I'm kind of representing the guy who doesn't want to do the thing, but he's freaking going to do it anyway through consistency, through just sheer stubbornness. So my why right now is twofold. One is to try to counteract the mental health struggle, the suicide statistics, the lack of morale, and the issues that are uh, currently out there, not just in general society, but definitely specifically within uh, first responder, LEO, and uh, veterans slash Canadian Armed Forces. 
or any military that tunes into this for that matter. So my first point of order is to try to be helpful to other human beings. My second point uh, of my why is to do this for me because I know that I don't like doing this, but I got to do it because I know my process. I know what I'm like. I'm currently in the pipeline of doing something that I don't want to do. And eventually it'll get so easy that I'll want to do it easily, casually, happily look forward to it. I'm probably in the middle ground right now where I was hating on it. Now I'm okay with it, but eventually in the future, I'll be loving on it. But it's just a process and that process is going to fail every single day unless my why is strong. And so my why is for the collective, but then the why is for me to pressure test myself every day through this adversity called a microphone and just keep getting after it to demonstrate that that's what we all can do. So that's my current why, which is way different than my why when I was in the military, which is different than most of my careers throughout my life. So I think it changes with the phases of your life or the phases of your careers or people that you bump into in life that have you going in a, in a 90 degree angle by the end of the day uh, in a completely different trajectory that you don't even understand. These people that are around us that um, inspire us or shape us in our lives, uh, it's another aspect of our why that isn't often considered um, in this bigger conversation, I think. Yeah, I think you're right. Now, I, I have a question for you, and I'm going to um, illustrate that through my own little story here of why. So the question is, do you think that the why itself is just applied differently? Or do you think it's like separate whys through the different phases of your life? Because for myself, I didn't really take any time to understand what my why was for a very long time, up until just recently when we started the collective and Sean actually pushed me on it to figure out what it was. And I, f I figured it out eventually was the fact that I, I'm a facilitator. I seek to facilitate knowledge. That's my consistent thing. And it's been throughout my entire life, but it's just the way in which I have applied that throughout my life has changed as I've done different things. And so going from, you know, when I, before I joined the military, I was always the idea guy. I was always the, oh, what do you guys want to do? We don't, you guys have no ideas. Okay, we're going to go do this. And I would always facilitate something to happen so that we could get it done. But also when I was in the military, being an engineer, that is a facilitary role. <laughs> the, the whole concept of being a combat engineer is to facilitate friendly forces. And afterwards, podcasting and advocacy and all these things, it's all about passing information to somebody else, but they've been applied slightly differently to different groups of people. So I'm wondering, do you think that that your why has remained, the, the base level why has remained static and you've just applied it in different manners through your life? Or do you think that your actual why has shifted completely into different realms? What do you think, Sean? I'm gonna come to you first. So what do you think? Yeah, sure. Uh, that's easy for me. I will say that my why has been the same throughout my entire life at a, at a at a fundamental level or at a very macro level, and it's to serve. I just like serving people. I like helping people. I like, I like trying to make things better, man. Uh, you know, just this morning I was communicating with a guy on a uh, uh, an offline network, and um, he he hit me up with, "Hey, man, like, let's do something for the SF community. Let's let's try to make it better for the troops. Let's try to raise morale. Let's try to dot dot dot." The boys are getting out and they're struggling. 
what can we do together? And I don't have all the answers, but I know I want to help. And, and so these were just a few sentences passed back and forth this morning. And, and I, I'm already in. I, mentally, I'm already in because I know I want to help. I know I'll have to help. So want and have to, wants and needs. My need in my why is to help, is to serve, is to make the world better. And I understand that through reflecting over my years, through my careers, through my all of that good stuff. I know that at the fundamental level, but I still have to add the refinement to that statement that throughout my life, it's looked a bit different in each career with every person who's in front of me. But at the core, I'm a servant. I like it. Craig, what are your thoughts? I think that's probably accurate that if you pin it down to a really fundamental value like service, then that's a continual theme throughout someone's life. And it just manifests in a different way. You know, like it might've been while you're active duty military then while you're running a business and while you're doing whatever. And yeah, I think that's, that's accurate that, that a given core value can persist throughout a lifetime. And then just the way that you express it is going to change. That's my take on it. I like it. Travis thoughts. I think that, I'll offer this, that if a person's why changes throughout their life, then they probably haven't found their why. And they should be able to differentiate between what a goal is and what their why is. Mm -hmm. A why, I think, is something that you're never going to achieve. You're always going to strive for it. It's something that's going to be in front of you that you're always working for. If you've achieved your why, then what? You have to find a new why? Maybe you didn't really find what that was. I think it was Robert Browning who said, a man's reach should exceed his grasp. A man's reach should exceed his grasp, lest what's a heaven for, right? So your why should be something that's always in front of you. If you make money, let's say, your why that you want to work towards, you're never going to achieve that money. You're never going to get that that uh, that goal. You're always kind of going to be behind it. And I would argue that happiness would be the same thing. When we talk about, what was it, uh, means versus end value. If you're trying to achieve happiness, you're presupposing that you're not happy and you're always Mm -hmm. going to be working towards happiness. But if you can find what your why is and that process of constant endeavor working towards it, you'll find that happiness will be a byproduct of it. You'll find that money Mm -hmm. will be a byproduct of your hard work and your efforts working towards the why. If my why was to summit this mountain, be be the first person to summit it, And when I get there, okay, I'm done. That's very different from the person whose why is that they love summiting mountains. They're going to continue to summit over and over and over again and far exceed that one individual wanted to just summit that one mountain. Um, You know, the other thing I was thinking about when we're talking about um, money or happiness or these different things that I would consider to be goals, perhaps, um, a rich man will want many things. A sick man will want just one thing. Mm. So if you can find what that one thing is that you really, truly want to work for, and you use that and you say, people have reached out to me and they want me to be able to help them in the SF community. I want to serve. That's fantastic. But you measure it against your why is, are my efforts here going to achieve the same value as if I put them elsewhere? If the answer is no, then I should be looking at how I can serve in the best possible way and always being able to bracket what my 
my limited time here on earth is to be able to achieve the maximum why. Absolutely. Craig, do you have any extra thoughts on that? No, I, I think that's well said. That The thing with the mountains, that's like a well-documented thing with a lot of mountaineers where they'll become profoundly depressed as soon as they hit that goal that they had, as soon as they do the thing. Like on the drive home, they're suddenly like dead inside because they've fixated everything on that. Um, there's actually a book called Obliquity by John Kay that talks about that as well, how a lot of the most important goals can't be directly pursued. Like you can't really say, I'm going to pursue happiness because it's happiness is more likely to be the byproduct of something else, like the byproduct of the meaning that you find in a process. And if you try to just go straight to that objective and say, I'm going to pursue happiness, you're probably just engaging in hedonism and it's not the same thing and it's going to leave you empty. Mm, interesting. Sean, any points to add at all? Yeah, I like that because uh, it is a phenomenon that I've observed far too many times and, and, and I'm constantly giving it out as a cautionary tale to the guy who's running across Canada, the guy who's running up the mountain, the guy who's trying to get the most bowling strikes in a row. Cool. But you know when you're done? Then what? And, and, and it's a thing. I mean, people who fixate on the singular objective of a singular finish line, when they cross that finish line, or worse yet, if they don't cross it because of an injury or they fail or whatever the case is, when it's all said and done, when that day is done, the next day is typically empty because they've looked at it as a singular objective rather than the path of life. And so I, I faced this very early in my 24-hour solo mountain bike coaching phase where the early or the initial 24-hour soloist that I was coaching like they, it didn't matter what happened. They could become a freaking mega star, number one on the podium with all of the accolades. Everything went perfect. Or conversely, it was a horrendous effort. It doesn't matter why, and it doesn't matter which one. At the end of the twenty-four, if I wasn't there to say, okay, and now's now what's next? Within twenty-four hours, if I couldn't say to them, where are we going next? What are you doing next? What's up next? In order to create a path that eventually when I'd leave them or move on to uh, another athlete or whatever the case is, at least I've set almost intangible future outcomes for them or efforts that they don't even understand yet, that they're sinking their teeth into the future rather than a little dead inside today because the big thing happened yesterday and they've got nothing in front of them. It's, it's a real strong phenomenon that I've seen where if you don't have something ready for them right within minutes of it all being completed, people can start rapidly going downhill. I think you'd be surprised how fast it happens. I actually have a great example of this and, uh, and I'm going to use myself as the example because it's perfect for it is that initially my goal was to join the military. Like I just wanted to be a soldier. Once I achieved that, I had no idea where I wanted to go from there. And what that led to eventually was the fact that I didn't have that next, I wasn't seeking anything else. I just kind of was existing mm -hmm. <laughs> in the military. I wasn't actually driving for anything bigger or more, uh, you know, anything beyond that. And we have a, a quick <clears throat> comment slash question here. Um, on that regard, and I want to get your thoughts on it. Winterstorm jumped in here. He said, for some people, they don't have the capacity to figure out their why because they're too busy just existing. 
They don't realize their why until later when they remove themselves from the situation. And so my question is, you know, is it more about, or not more about, is it kind of directly related to the fact of hindsight, being able to see that in the past and going, oh man, I screwed that up. Or is it more like right now in the moment to find that why you have to take the time to look back, if that makes sense. Travis, you got a point? I think Winter Storm nailed it on the head. You have to remove yourself from the situation. You have to reach a point. You got. You have to be disciplined and actually put yourself in either uh, a contemplative state, a meditative state, whether forced or otherwise. I use the outdoors for that. If I can limit the distractions that I have around me and I start realizing what it is that really brings me purpose and value, um, without those external distractions, without work emails coming in or social media or whatever it might be, it really comes into a, a focus, but it, it's not an easy process. And if someone's not willing to remove themselves from the situation, I think they're going to have a hard time ever finding their why they're just going to be working on goals or they're going to be looking to other people who they think have it all figured out and no one's got it all figured out and they'll try and emulate what they think their whys are. But it really does have to be deeply personal for the individual in order for it to stick and apply. There we go. I like it. Yep. Uh, Craig, any thoughts? Yeah, I don't, I don't really have anything to add to that. I think if, I mean, if, if you're in some kind of survival level experience, like I guess there could be a different type of being just busy surviving. Like that might just mean being bored in a job you don't care about, or it might be, mean you're literally surviving. And those are two different things. But yeah, I think Travis covered it pretty well. I might I be able to provide a, a suggestion on there, which I found useful in the past. And that would be just to make a, a simple pros and cons list or a list of what can I, rather than finding what your why is, really exact, examine what your why is not. Because sometimes it's easier to say, you know, I'm definitely not motivated by this, or this is definitely something that doesn't align with my values, than it is for you to find out what your why is. So through a process of elimination, you might be able to work your way backwards. And when you start looking through those pros, you might see different things that kind of align. If my pros are you know, I really like helping people. And then I really like, um, uh, when someone calls me up and I work on their fence or when they, they need uh, first aid or whatever it might be as a first responder. And you look at those and they all follow the same thread, which is I'm, I'm here to serve. And that can help a person perhaps identify what their why is. I like it. The use of the contrary. Smart. Uh, anything to add to that, Craig at all? Or what do you got? I, I just got a quick one uh, before uh, Craig steals my thought, which his <laughs> thought would be better than my thought. So, uh. so uh, I think that the why is not taken seriously enough. I think that that is part of the issue. And so I use very precise language when I'm talking about the why on the podcasts or when someone hits me up in a private video chat or whatever. If I've got the time, I'll take it. And then I'm straight into it with them. And it's, it's a really simple process. And the reason I make it so simple is so that there's no confusion. And the reason I make my language very direct is so that there's no misinterpretation. And it's as simple as this. All right, this is what you're going to do. Grab a single sheet of paper and a pen and sit down at your dinner table 
and write down a large Y with a question mark after it, and you can underline it if you want. And then, don't get up from the table until you've answered it, period. Get back to me when you've got an answer. That's it. And so, it's got to be very direct. You've got to make it super simple. And it has to be with some sort of almost an ultimatum in order for someone to understand how important it is for them to take this seriously in the moment. Like, get your why figured out and don't get away from that table until you've got yourself figured out. If you've got to sit there for six hours, I don't care. Eight, whatever. Grab a glass of water while you're sitting there. You've got to, you've got to answer the why with some conviction. And that means that it can't be distracted. It, it can't be, uh, I'm going to try to address my why today while I'm driving to work and picking up the kids and grabbing a coffee and I go, oh, I got to do laundry. Where does the why fit in there? It's, it's a distracted why. So sit down, don't get up from the table until you've answered your why. And the why can be at many levels. It can be the deepest universal meaning to you. It could be as simple as, why do I like carrots? I don't care. Get some whys down there. Get some answers down there. Start figuring out yourself. Because I've found most people don't think about themselves too much. They think about everything else but what's going on inside of themselves as humans, as people, as, as part of our community. Uh, we don't categorize who we are too much. We categorize who they are a lot. And so uh, for some people, it's an uncomfortable situation where they have to sit down and answer their why, because most people haven't spent a whole lot of time thinking about their why. And uh, so sit down, don't get up until you've written something on that paper. Couldn't agree more. Craig, any points to add? Yeah, and the, the concept of that, that thinking through negation thing, that is like in a lot of the writing on strategy, that's an important part of it that you don't have a strategy until you're clear on what you're saying no to. Like until then you just have a goal or you have an objective, but you don't really have a plan for getting there. So you have to be clear on desirable things that you are not going to do or pursue in pursuit of something bigger, more important. So, so as you're working through that, like if you're doing Sean's thing, sitting at a table with a piece of paper, be clear on exactly what you will not pursue or what you will not do because this other thing is more important. And if you can do that, then you have a strategy and then you have like a clear path forward to like living out whatever value that you have or the thing you're trying to attain. But until then, you're just trying to do all the things. You're just kind of aimless. I like that a lot. <clears throat> Any uh, points to add or? There's a, I'm pretty sure it's a fake Latin term, absolute absolutum infinitum i don't even know what it is but it's, it's some made-up thing but essentially the concept is if you take a thought process to the absolute most absurd furthest area and it still holds water and it still holds true to you then maybe you're on to your why if you say well, my why is whatever it might be and then you start saying well would that why still apply if i'm sick if my family's sick if mm -hmm. uh, if we don't have would, would it still apply to me? If the answer is no, then maybe we should still keep digging and go a little deeper because that why should survive 
all of those all of those points and then you can work backwards and set goals if those goals work towards that why and you can have tons of goals that you work towards but with that north star of that why always guiding you you're that mountaineer who loves going over mountains you know that that this kind of goes into another question i had here is the fact that again we we say this a lot or you hear it a lot i should say it online it's like enjoy the embrace the journey right enjoy love the journey love the process do these things and it seems like almost an ambiguous concept rather than something that is um useful to actually kind of maintain so my thought was we were talking about climbers a little bit ago was do you think that just by changing the the verbiage the analogy itself instead of you know the person who loves climbing will continue climbing that seems like an obvious statement but what about you know the people that love the view from the top versus the the people that all they want to do is touch the top you know what i mean like so just the the fact of how people interpret the action itself into their why in terms of um self-reflection or perhaps um you know hindsight things like that does that do you think that applies or is it just platitudes at this point sean i'm gonna start with you what do you think well, if I understand correctly, you're talking about someone who maybe is invested in a lifelong journey of excellence versus someone who's interested in touching the uh, special moment and then getting a checkbox and saying, I just went in life is, I mean, I'm simplifying, yeah, but is that, that what we're talking about? Yeah. Yeah. Well, obviously my stance is I'm, I'm a fan of the lifelong journey, the lifelong growth mindset, the lifelong pursuit of a finish line that never shows up. Pursuing beyond the horizon, even though you don't know what's beyond the horizon and still going anyway, that's what I'm into. Uh, I'm <clears throat> I'm less into uh, something that is reasonably easy to achieve, touching it and then thinking I just won. That, that doesn't interest me. Uh, in fact, I've said it before, winning kind of bores me or not winning bores me, that sounds dumb, but competing and then doing well kind of bores me, even as I'm doing well in the thing i'm already thinking about the next thing because my where i am in my life right now i'm fascinated with not the wins but i'm fascinated with the challenges with the struggles with the things that are that create adversity within my life like this freaking microphone uh as i exampled earlier in the conversation i'm just not interested in winning easily I don't mind winning, but it's gotta be freaking super duper hard. And even then I'm looking for the next thing, like within seconds of standing on the podium of life, as it were. Travis, what do you got? What are you writing down there? Oh, a few different things, but you know, Sean said this time and time again, he says he chases failure. And some people have said to me, well, what does Sean mean? He chases failure. Well, I'll, I can let Sean speak for himself, but my interpretation is, of that is failure is where growth happens. And if we aren't striving towards something and failing, then we haven't set our sights high enough. And we don't have something that's going to fuel us on the inside to kind of keep moving forward. So uh, Earl Nightingale would define success as the progressive realization of a worthy ideal. You're not successful if you've reached that pinnacle it's the progressive realization towards that worthy ideal where success happens. And if people can embrace that, perhaps they can also embrace the concept of enjoying the process, enjoying these failures that come up because what did I learn? And sometimes what you learn is 
I'll never do that again. Holy crow, that was stupid, right? But you've learned something and you can take pride in that and you can enjoy that process. Interesting, Craig. Any thoughts? Yeah, there's there's research on dopamine and motivation. Dopamine is essentially like a motivational neurotransmitter that uh, pushes you to pursue things. And there's a there are desire-based and control-based dopaminergic circuits in our brain. The desire-based ones are like kind of short-term, I want ice cream kind of thing. And the control-based ones are more internally oriented around um, long-term thinking or long-term pursuit of things, which can, re- which can involve like delayed gratification. Um, within that, we can adjust the things that we do in order to get dopamine or to feel that motivational drive around either a process or an outcome orientation, where an outcome orientation means I feel good or I will will feel good when I reach this goal. Like say I want to deadlift 500 pounds. Like if I put everything on that outcome, then nothing that leads up to that is particularly motivating to me because I just want the thing at the end. And if I don't get that thing, I'm going to feel bad. There's going to be, it's called a reward prediction error where I wanted the thing, I didn't get the thing, and now I feel bad. Whereas if you have a process orientation, then you can create a positive feedback loop where doing the things, the steps along the way that lead you to that longer goal are inherently rewarding in themselves. So you feel good because you did this workout that didn't lead, you didn't deadlift 500 pounds in this workout, but it was one sequential step towards that longer goal. And now you've gotten like a reward or you feel good about what you just did in the moment as part of this longer process. And that that allows you to somewhat dissociate your need to have those outcomes, which are ultimately kind of out of your control. If they're anything like really worth pursuing, you know, like Sean said earlier, like you could break an ankle, like you could get sick, you could get hurt, like bad things can happen. That shouldn't dissuade you from doing what you can and focusing on the things you control within the process. But the perspective you take and how much you fixate your feedback loops, like your inner sense of reward or the things that you're trying to pursue on either the process itself, the boring daily things that get you there versus the outcome, like that long-term abstract thing can play a big role in what actually motivates you and what drives you forward. And if you're only fixated on the outcome, like I want to lose 10 pounds, I want to deadlift 500, whatever, uh, it's really hard to anchor on anything day to day to propel yourself forward because none of it really matters because you just fixated on this abstract future thing that you'll never really get. Then if you do, you've gotten it, now you're done again. And you have to pick some (laughs) random thing again just because you got lucky. That's and right. it's like, you know, the sad guy driving home after climbing the mountain. That's right. Dang, yeah. That, uh, that, uh, it actually crystallized something in my head here, and I want to run this past you guys to see if this flies. You're talking about, you know, by limiting your short-term reward system based off a long-term reward system, which is, I think is interesting, at least in my head, is that we continually, what you're talking about is talking about having a, I want to deadlift 500 pounds right now which is a short-term reward without any prior work. Mm-hmm. But if you base your entire system on the short-term reward being the work in the moment right now, then it doesn't really matter where that ends because it's just a yeah. continual rewarding. So that's fantastic. I just like... Yeah. Wait, wait. Well, well, thank you, Craig. You saved me literally months. <laughs> <laughs> we've actually I, I would like to get you guys thoughts on this we, we've seen kind of a correlation here in clients that we work with where when people show up with 
really specific concrete goals of like, I want to run a 35 minute five mile. I want to deadlift 500 pounds. I want to do do, 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 do. That is often going to be the person who hasn't been doing the work to do those things. And they think that there's a magic recipe for that. And you're going to get them there in six weeks or something where when people show up and they're just like, I want to do the work and they don't really care. They don't really like, they just, they're just there to do the work. They have an end goal. Like they're going to get through a selection or they're going to do something. But when they're not obsessed on arbit with arbitrary metrics, they seem to be more likely to have just been doing the work. And those will be the guys that are running like a really like a six minute mile pace. I'm sorry, I can't convert this into kilometers in my head, but they're the ones who are like unusually fit and they aren't aware that it's good relative to other people. They're like, I just, I just ran like an eight minute mile and a half. Is that good? You know, like they're outstanding, but they've just never cared about like those arbitrary metrics because they've just been doing the work day by day by day by day. And then they look up and they're at the front of the pack, but they've never cared about that before until they got there. So I, I was curious on, on your guys' thoughts on that. If you see like Sean, like say your correlation, like with mountain bike racers or if you train guys for selection, did you see a relationship between like a fixation on hard little metrics and like their likelihood of having done the work like for the years leading up to that? Yeah, you're, you're right on the money. And so rather than use uh, selection as the example, mountain biking is actually a better way to explain this because of course the data that you can collect through uh, wattage and et cetera, like it's science-based and there's no room for interpretation on what someone did or someone didn't. And so um, what I found to loosely categorize it into two camps, I'll say this, that the folks who struggled the most when they would first uh, start with me and I'm going to loosely categorize it, I think we'll all understand, are engineers. And mm -hmm. so they have a certain way of thinking. They have a certain way of how they want information. They have a certain way of how they want to track their performance. And, and you know, it's very structured. It's very etc. But what the problem with that is they want the structure now on day one, but they don't even know who they are on day one. And so they would like me to lay out the Gantt chart on how to become a world champion where they don't even know at that point what they're capable of, and nor do I. And so the, the, the camp that would come with like um, expectations of, of what they were going to be able to do with too much requirement for minute-by-minute um, minute updates or day-by-day day, uh, perfection, for lack of a better term. The engineering mind is difficult to program when it is a long-term siege campaign of maybe a year and a half, whereby there's a lot of moving parts. The fluidity of the path towards success is predicated on, like, if it is an engineer, now they've got work stress that I'm trying to bounce, or they've got home stress, and now they've got training stress. And then the other stresses, they just won't get with the program. They want to um, they want to be a year down the pipeline because they want to ask all of the questions to understand the model before they've kind of even got out of the first week. So I did see and again, a generalization, there are certain minds or certain industries or certain people that it is a struggle to work with because they show up with pre-considered um, 
a preconsidered pathway to their success, but it's framed in their engineering mind or their engineering world, whereas they came to me to become successful in that path, which is not going to be the way that they want it to look like. So I did have some struggles with some people. I hope that makes sense. Interesting. Yeah. Any Anything else, Craig, or you good to... No, no. Cool. I was just curious about that. Yeah, absolutely. Travis, any thoughts? Well, sorry, Craig, what did you, what did, what have you seen? Uh, yeah, yeah, that, that is often the correlation. Like, like sometimes you might have someone from a competitive athletic background where they do pay attention to some specific performance stats, but in a lot of cases, like the person who's like, I want to run a 35 minute five mile next week, or I want a triple body weight deadlift or whatever, like you then look at their stats and they're running a 55 minute five mile and they're deadlifting their body weight. And then they're going to be sad three weeks later because they haven't gotten significantly closer to this like ridiculously hard goal because that goal is going to take them multiple years. And, and they can't really rationalize that Delta or like the, the amount of time it's going to take them to do truly hard things. And I think that's partly not people's fault, like as, as individuals or consumers, because the fitness industry tells people that that's how it's supposed to work. Like you buy this eight week magic PDF and we're going to fix all of your problems. You'll have the best sex of your life and you'll be the fastest marathon runner and you'll do whatever as long as you give me 30 bucks. But you know, it's not true, but it, understandably a lot of people are deluded that way. And they have these like arbitrary goals that they kind of pin their like emotional state on. And then when they don't really quickly get to them because they think that's how it's supposed to work, they get disappointed, they get discouraged, and they give up. And then a year later, they try again, and they'll just repeat that process forever. Yeah, the, the, the delta is the problem. The delta between the belief of what is going to be happening a month from now versus where they're at right now. But the you, you explained it better than I did. The, the camp that I'm talking about is the camp that shows up with a big delta. But on their Gantt chart that they showed up with, when <laughs> that they wrote out before they signed up, they've got a path forward for their mind on how they think they are going to close the gap on that delta. And that's where there's friction between me and them. If they can't just settle down, open up their ears, learn how to do it a different way, or I'll, I'll, I'll say a better way and uh, get them to the point that they asked me to get them to rather than overlaying their system, overlaying their Gantt chart on what they think is, that's uh, a pretty good plan, Sean, but I've got some ideas. So that's what I was referring to, I think. Uh, Travis, any anything to add to that? Uh, well, Craig's a pretty smart dude. I think if people aren't following him already, they should be. Uh, I also find myself wanting ice cream after he mentioned it. Uh, but, but in seriousness, um, you know, we do live in an instant gratification society. And we are seeing um, substantial rise in depression and anxiety, particularly amongst our youth who are growing up in this instant gratification society. You can get food delivered to you right away. You can get instant information coming in. And, you know, oftentimes people have talked about they say type one and type two fun, right? Type mm -hmm. one fun is, hey, I'm having a great time. I'm on a roller coaster. This is so much fun, right? But you don't look back and say, hey, remember that roller coaster ride and how great it was? Type two fun, it's perhaps going through selection, 
sucks while you're doing it, but you look back and you say, you know what? Those are the good old days. I had so much fun when I was working towards that. And if we put this to, into a perspective, perhaps someone who hasn't gone through an arduous task like that, but I, I don't know if I've eaten Wagyu steak at a fancy restaurant and it's technically perfect and, and cooked phenomenally over eating backstraps cooked up over a campfire with just some salt and butter and, and I'll remember that meal way more than I'll ever remember the meal in the high-end restaurant because I worked damn hard for that. And I remember mm -hmm. the process that it took in order to get there and the company that I was with. And I might be freezing my ass off and I might, I might be freezing my butt off, but, <sighs> but I'll remember that. And if I can put that into perspective and say, well, perhaps I should be looking at my future goals as type two fun goals because I will then start to enjoy that process and know that I'm working hard towards something that's desirable and it's going to be deeper to me than, than that instant gratification, which we see so often. Dang. This is a fantastic conversation. I'm loving it. So, uh, I, I got to throw this in because yeah, uh, what Travis just illustrated is something that I wish we would have started talking right from the get go. And it's the vibe. Mm. It's the connection. It's the spirit of things. It's the sitting at a campfire with the right people and having the right conversation and then doing yeah. the right stuff. And so uh, I'm with Travis on this. I mean, I've eaten some fancy restaurants, but you know, some of the most uh, standout meals for me, and, and maybe this is why Travis brought it up, is because he was referencing how maybe he'd harvested an animal and how maybe he'd done all the hard work and now he's uh, prepared it and he's serving it up to people that he cares for, or maybe people that he doesn't even know, but what is he doing? He's freaking serving. And so like, I think some of the, the, the most memorable moments for me are, are the simple moments, not the fancy boy restaurant moments, though. I appreciate them. I've, I've, I've planned entire country trips around foodism. So I love a good restaurant. I love a good hole in the wall meal, but some of the most standout moments are simple things like heating up a can of baked beans over an open fire and then using the same spoon to share it with your buddy back and forth. You get half a can, I get half a can. Now let's go hunt some rabbits in the middle of winter. Or, you know, you boil something up in your, in your, uh, in your whatever little pot on top of a mountain, or you're, you, you smoke some ribs on your smoker on your back deck, and then you got some friends coming over. And no one makes a big deal out of it, but you served a meal to your friends and it's the service, it's the connection, it's the, it's a conversation, it's the vibe, it's the spirit of the gathering that I think stands out. And so I'm going to try to relay that directly into coaching because like if Craig was my coach, that'd be freaking awesome. If I, if I was a bit younger, uh, I, I may, I may have gone further, but the reason that I uh, point at Craig is because he's, he's got a good vibe. He's got a good head on his shoulders. He's, he, he cares. And I, and I, I feel that he would be an amazing coach because he's in the game for you. He's there to serve. And so, uh, these kind of things where we're talking about, uh, making a mark in someone's life or how to how to do good by others or what is it to be a really good coach? I think you've got to care more about the person in front of you mm. than you care about yourself to some degree. 
I, I do love that. And some of the best meals I've ever had were uh, rations in a 10-man tent in the middle of winter, just hanging out with the boys. Those are always fantastic. Um, now, any other thoughts on that? I got a couple comments, a bunch of questions here, but anything else that you guys wanted to hit on? Okay. So um, River Viking here kicks in a little a little while ago. He said, you've all touched on it. You need to find your why. Do you think that the why can be daunting due to a lack of living in the present? And do you think trauma plays a role in it? Which I think is an excellent question. Uh, Craig, I'm going to come to you first. What do you think? <laughs> I was trying to process that one. Um, I think the why can be daunting. Yes. I think if you're, if you're incapable of getting closer to like direct experience um, or if you struggle with like a, a self-distanced perspective, like the ability to look at your own stream of consciousness or your stream of thought and emotional stream <laughs> out of words, uh, it, like, like, I think Travis mentioned like a meditative practice or mindfulness practice, and, and that can be a useful thing as like a intermediary step to this, like just the ability to be able to read the ga gauges on the dashboard of your own mind. Uh, and absolutely trauma can play a role in that, like in dissociating people or making it, you know, putting scary places in your mind that you become accustomed to avoiding and that sort of thing. Absolutely. Travis, any thoughts? Yeah. You know, that, that whole mindfulness, I think there's a, a bit of a hack for people who haven't experienced mindfulness is forced mindfulness, perhaps mm -hmm. rock climbing or um, doing something that they have to put all of their energies and thought in the present moment, essentially just to survive or to get through the task. I find oftentimes, you know, I had a, um, a professional skier who was on the uh, podcast here a couple of days ago, and he just looks for these super daunting, high altitude um, uh, drops that he can take. And he says he's just the happiest when he's in there. He's now mm -hmm. skirting that line between life and death, and he gets down, and you know, we never truly feel as alive to when you're almost dead. And it kind of brings things into perspective. The difficulty is a person can't sustain that on the ongoing for the long term, and they have to perhaps taste that in a forced mindfulness setting. And how do we recreate that without having to be in such an extreme situation? And does trauma play a part in that? Oh, absolutely. I'd say trauma plays a part in it, but it's your perspective of the trauma, I think, that plays a part on it. Mm. It's, the trauma is not going to stop you, but your perspective of that trauma might say, well, I'm never going to be able to A, B, and C, or I'm, I'm, I'm this way because of whatever the trauma is. If you can just realize everyone's got trauma, everyone's got something to deal with, yours might be seem insurmountable to you at the moment, um, but it's not. You're alive, you're kicking, you're doing things. Um, if you can sw swap that perspective, perhaps have that forced mindfulness in the background is something that uh, you can aspire to without having to be in an extreme environment. Um, yeah, I, it's sort of a roundabout way of answering this question. I can, I could go deeper, but I'm conscious of our time. So I appreciate it. Sean, any, uh, any thoughts on this? I like this forced mindfulness. It, uh, yeah. it, it's, it's a good example of what we were doing at Operation Pegasus Jump over the last two summers. And I can use myself as a good example because I freaking hate heights, man. But uh, I'm still jumping out of that perfectly good, good airplane. And uh, the, the cool thing about that is, and this is an important conversation that we don't have time to dig into, maybe tomorrow, who knows, maybe in the future. 
but uh, these are not all standalone silos. So you can have forced mindfulness or obligated mindfulness, and nothing will get you more present than when you're dangling off of a wing of an airplane. And so um, when you're present in that moment, guess what? Here's the next silo that gets stacked on that. You're surrounded by freaking cool people who want you to win, who are positive, who are for trajectory based and are there for you to support your success. And then the overlayer of et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So you can start stacking things together to uh, either refine or expedite the process of kind of like getting to know who you are right now, getting to know your why, getting to know how you can play with that why with other friends, other people. And you know, it's really hard, but if you, if you're struggling to engage in something that is going to make you feel like you're part of a team, that makes you feel like you're in the game for more than just yourself, or you're going to serve something larger, sign up right now for Operation Pegasus Jump. And once you put your name down on that dotted line, circle it on the calendar and then start dreading it or whatever. <laughs> but you're on the, once you're on the calendar, you're on the calendar and it's going to happen. It's going to show up next year, and then you're going to be dangling off of a wing, and we'll all be giving the shakas, and we'll all be saying that's rad, and we'll all be patting you on the back, and we'll all be one big happy family. And so all of the considerations of this year, like I'm scared of this, I don't want to do that, who would I hang out with, how do I get better? There's a single event called Operation Pegasus Jump that will crush all of that stuff. So if you don't want to jump out of perfectly good airplanes, Start sniffing around for either veteran law enforcement, first responder, uh, these kind of organizations where people, like-minded people get together and support you in the path forward that you are, uh, you find daunting. I could not agree more. I could not agree more. It is, uh, it is quite the, quite the cool event. And then you get to go home with like one of these awesome patches because just wicked. Um, yeah, they are uh, any of those organizations, and there's tons of them. And there's like, you don't have to know what you want out of it either, which is the key point, which is what I really love about it is just go and do it. And it, it's fantastic. You got all kinds of the uh, Ruck for Remembrance coming up right away. We got the, which is another great organization by all means, Operation Pegasus Jump 100%. There's so many of them. Look it up, go do something. They're fantastic. I can't. I, uh, I, I do that think enough. that a person has to be a first responder or a military serving or X in order to do the Operation Pegasus jump, because I did try to do that and right. was turned away, so I picked up a paraglider because I don't like heights either, and I <laughs> watched some YouTube videos, and I figured I'll figure this one out, but um, I, I really like just, I know we have time here, um, what Sean's saying about this circle of awesome people around you. If you find yourself in a situation where you don't have that circle around you, maybe it's time to start pulling the weeds. Maybe it's time to look around the, that support group and the friends that you have if they aren't supporting mm -hmm. you in that proper way. Yeah. Agreed. A hundred percent. So we are just about at time here. I don't really want to engage into another question that we just don't really have time to get into it. Yeah. Are there any other thoughts on that before we shut her down for the day? Anybody? Okay. All right, let's get some final thoughts then of the whole conversation across the board. Trav, uh, going to go right back to you, Trav. Any I think it's thoughts? been a fantastic conversation. I really enjoyed it. I wish we had more time to delve into this further because we, we could talk about it a lot, 
a lot more. And I'd love to see what those future questions are. But um, thank you very much for having me on this. The fact that I'm in a group of awesome people who want nothing more than for each other to do better uh, really is a lift. I love it. Absolutely. Craig, final thoughts? Um, yeah, this was a, an enjoyable one. Thanks for having me. I uh, I think there's two things to take away from it. I've been thinking about that everyone's brought up with that the relational side of things is an extremely important part of what brings you meaning or, or what your why probably is. Like there's almost nothing that's worth experiencing that is alone. Um, you know, like if someone gave you like that great Wagyu steak and you had to sit in a room by yourself and eat it every, like you'd get bored of it pretty fast. It's more about mm -hmm. the people who are around you while you're doing something. And then um, the, I thought of this concept, the, the root word or the Latin root word of the word passion was I think pati, which means to suffer and endure. Uh, so when we originally, when people said someone was passionate about something, it meant it was something for which they were willing to suffer, which is where we got like the passion of the Christ in terms like that. It was, it was related to suffering. And if you think of like eating those backstraps in the backcountry and how good they tasted, it was because you'd suffered to be there and that brought you meaning. So if you're struggling to understand what your why is or what you're willing to do or what you're like, what it is you really want, why you're doing it. Um, I think you could start by just asking yourself for what are you willing to suffer and then look at that. Dang, Sean. <laughs> Any final thoughts? Freaking Craig Weller, hey? <laughs> what do you even right do with that end. guy? Right at the end. How how frustrating. <laughs> so um, I think uh, it's, it's kind of being said, I just do want to put a little bit more emphasis on um, if, if you're wondering how to become a better version of you, try to figure out how to become a better version for everyone around you. Surf yeah. something higher than yourself. Don't worry too much about all of your problems. Start looking around to try to solve problems outside of you. Once once you start focusing on other things than just your own tiny little world and put a little bit of a smile on your face while you're doing it, I think you'll find that uh, the world gets a whole lot better once you're trying to help others. And that'd be my final point. Yeah. I, uh, I, I, I got nothing to add. I'm not even going to try. So by all means, everybody continually out there. Uh, thank you guys for the conversation. Thank you guys for all the questions and the comments and, uh, learn, build, grow, keep doing that every day with us here on the collective. We'll see y'all tomorrow. Chimo.